Well, this morning we continue in our exploration through the book of Luke in our series, The Good News. And today we come across a parable. It's a well-known story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please open to Luke chapter 10, and uh, I'll be reading bits of it as we go along. I love how God communicates in various different ways in Scripture. There are some parts of the Bible where there are clear instructions, like Paul says, do not give up meeting together, which some of you are in the habit of doing. I I like that because it's a clear instruction. I don't have to think about it too much. It's just, it's there. But then there are other parts of the Bible where God connects with our emotion through poetry. And then there are parts like parables where... uh, Jesus does a significant part of his teaching through telling stories. And in these stories, Jesus uses narrative in such amazing ways to teach. He uses examples that people can relate to. He's speaking to farmers and agricultural people. And he says the kingdom of God is like a growing seed or like a landowner who employs workers in his vineyard. And he teaches by telling stories that people can relate to. And the story we look at today is a famous story. It's a passage of scripture that I'm sure most of us have heard before. We've probably read it ourselves. You've probably heard sermons on it before. And even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard the story. I remember studying it in English at high school. And it's even become part of our vocabulary. Often we'll watch the news and there'll be a story about a stranger who comes to someone's aid and the headline in the news will be a good Samaritan. And what a great story that Jesus tells, a story of compassion and of mercy where an unexpected man comes to the aid of another, a man who is faced with terrible injustice and has been neglected and left to die on a hot, dusty road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what a great challenge it is for us to live like the Good Samaritan, to embrace the heart of God and his calling for us to embody compassion and mercy and the grace of God in a world that is corrupted and stained with injustice and greed and selfishness and hurt. I remember seeing two separate stories on the news that really shocked me. The first was of a lady in California who collapsed at the entrance to a shopping centre and no one stopped to help her. They showed CCTV on the news of a man stepping over this woman lying unconscious on the floor. And my heart goes out to this poor lady who collapsed. I saw another story on the news from a hospital in New York where a lady was in the emergency room in the waiting area and she collapsed on the floor and was having a seizure. There were others sitting in the waiting room, but it was 45 minutes before anyone came to her aid and it was an hour before any medical assistance came to her, even in the waiting room of an emergency room in hospital. And I see these stories and I think, how can people not have compassion? Even to go and see if this woman was all right, not even to get up out of a chair and find a nurse or even pause to walk past. And from the story of the Good Samaritan, I can see that God has a heart for people in need. 
God has given his people a calling to show compassion to those who are in need and those who are neglected. To be that person that could have got up in that hospital waiting room. To be the person who could have helped the woman waiting outside the hospital, uh, the shopping centre. Now, although this passage definitely highlights our call to imitate the compassion of God, I think that quite often our interpretation and application of the passage, we've placed too much focus on the Samaritan. We see him as the central character in the story. We even call him the good Samaritan, although the passage never calls him good. We focus on this character, so much so that if you would ask me to tell you the story of the Good Samaritan, off the top of my head, it would be something like this. There was a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. I probably would have added in that this was a, a known road for being dangerous with robberies and the like, and that he was robbed. He was beaten and stripped, and they took everything that he had and left him for dead. And then a priest came along and passed by on the other side of the road and continued his journey. And then a temple helper, a Levite, came along, and he as well walked by the other side of the road and continued on his journey. Then a Samaritan, a man who was not liked by the Jews at all, who would have been considered unclean to be associated with, who was seen as a half-caste, a race that was half-Jew but contaminated by surrounding nations, who had set up their own place of worship, someone who the the Jews generally didn't associate with, someone they wouldn't normally even have a conversation with. This man walks past and has compassion on the injured man, shows him mercy, helps the man, took him on his donkey, paid the man's expenses at the inn and promised to return. That's my recollection of the parable. And if you'd asked me the meaning of the story... I would have said that as Christians, we are called to have compassion, even when it's not convenient, even when it costs us, even with people we normally wouldn't associate with. And though I think this is a valid application, I think I've missed the primary point to this story. You see, one of the things I first learnt about interpreting the Bible is that we need to read a passage in context. And in my retelling of this parable, I've missed the context. And in doing so, I think I've missed, pardon me, a lot of the meaning of this parable. (coughs) Pardon me. You see, the passage doesn't start with a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. This passage starts with a conversation with Jesus. A man comes to Jesus and asks him a question. He's an expert in the law. I'll call him a lawyer, just so I don't have to keep saying expert in the law over and over again. But he isn't really a lawyer in the way that we understand a lawyer. He's uh, more like a, a Bible college lecturer or a, uh, a seminary professor. He's an expert in religious law. So the lawyer comes to Jesus and asks in verse 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So when we read the parable, we know it is in the context of explaining the answer to this question, how one receives eternal life. So let's look briefly at this encounter between Jesus and the lawyer. The lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Thank you, Fiona. The lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus responds with a question. The man is an expert in the law, so Jesus asks him, well, what does the law say? Now, we know from reading the New Testament that the law and the prophets, all of Scripture points to Jesus. So by no means is Jesus saying the law is the way to eternal life, but that the law points to him, the true giver of life. And so Jesus follows up with an equally important question. What does the law say and how do you read it? Knowing scripture is one thing, but interpreting it and implying it well is another. But the lawyer answers well. In fact, he gives the same summary of the law that Jesus did when he was asked what the greatest commandment is. The lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus affirms his answer. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now the lawyer had asked, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, do this. But I don't think this is an approval of a works-based righteousness of the Jewish leaders. This is a law of love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor is all about heart. It is about total allegiance and devotion to God. It is about faith, and the outworking of that faith will be in actions that display love. When Jesus says, do this and you will live, I believe he is talking about total devotion to God walking in relationship with God, because it is relationship with God that brings eternal life. He is the source and the sustainer of life. And the way to inherit life is to stay connected to him. And this devotion to God is without limit. It requires the whole heart, the mind, the soul, and the strength. But the lawyer sees it as actions, as ticking boxes, and so he wants to limit it to accessible markers so that he can know he's comfortably doing what is required. He wants terms of reference as to who he is to love and how he is to love. The passage even says that he is trying to justify himself. And when we move from the heart to the letter of the law, we look for limits. And that's exactly what this man is doing. The lawyer wants to know, who is my neighbor, in verse 29, in order to know who he is responsible to love. And on the other side of that, who he doesn't have to love. And it's likely that he understood the term neighbor to refer only to his own people. A neighbor was another Israelite, someone who shares the same covenant with God. And the passage that he quoted to Jesus seemed to suggest this too. If we read on, Leviticus 19 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer here is seeking to limit responsibility by defining who is in and who isn't. But if the good news is just good news for your people then we've missed something 
because the good news isn't defined by human definitions of who is in and who is an outsider. The good news is good news for all. And Jesus responds by telling this parable. In reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he went to the man, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So here Jesus tells the story of a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is about a 30-kilometer journey downhill on a dusty and rocky road. It was a dry, desert-like climate, and due to the rugged terrain and isolation of this track, it was known for bandits who would intercept travelers. And as Jesus tells this story, I'm sure the listeners would have been aware of this road and could probably imagine themselves walking it. As he tells the story, I'm sure they would picture themselves walking this dusty road in the heat, anxious to get to their destination before dark, on the lookout for robbers and for trouble. And they're confronted with this ethical dilemma, a man lying on the ground. Do you stop? Do you risk this being a trap? Or with the real threat that the robbers are still around? There's the inconvenience of stopping and being delayed. And for the priest and the Levite, one would expect them to be godly people willing to offer assistance, but they face the same risks. And they also risk becoming unclean and therefore not being able to do their job, being able to serve God and his worshippers in the temple. And I think that this context makes the dilemma a little bit more tense than at first glance. And Jesus is speaking about what one must do to inherit eternal life. And he tells this story of a man helpless, on the brink of death. And we're left to ponder the question, who will help this man who cannot help himself? And in the end, he is utterly dependent on someone who owes him nothing and who we would expect not to associate with him. Now, as I said before, I think we focus a lot on the Samaritan in this story, and we like to relate to the Samaritan, to think that we might be the hero coming in to save the day. But have you ever thought that maybe the man who's robbed and lying in the ditch represents you in this story? You see, we are robbed of life by sin. We are left broken and helpless with no way in our own merit that we can be rescued. There is nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. But we rely on someone greater than us to pass us by and show us compassion. 
We might expect religion to save us, but religion has passed us by, just like the priest. Tradition has passed us by too, just like the Levite. But here we are, helpless, nothing that we can do for our own sin. Yet God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his compassion, sends Jesus. And just like the audience hearing this parable would not have expected the Samaritan to be the rescuer, Jesus wasn't what people expected to be the Messiah or the Savior to be. But he is the one. He is the Savior and he rescues us, not because we deserve it to be rescued in any way, shape or form, but because God has mercy. And like the Samaritan in this story, he restored us. He purchased our eternal inheritance and he will return just like the Samaritan who purchased the accommodation in the inn and will return to cover any further expense. And maybe the question that Jesus poses to the lawyer is not, would you help this man on the side of the road? But do you realize that you are this man and I have come to help? I will be your neighbor. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is, there is nothing you can do. You can't love God and neighbor perfectly the way that the lawyer is hoping to fulfill the law. But God can and does meet you in your need and your brokenness. He provides for your healing and provides for your life. And it's at this point that this encounter should get quite personal for us. The story that Jesus tells is not just a hypothetic tale of a man who shows mercy. It is the story of your encounter with Jesus and my encounter with Jesus. We encounter the mercy of Jesus who picks us up and restores us when we are in desperate need and could not help ourselves. And this is goodness. This is goodness for all. As any of us can be in need and met by Jesus, rescuing actions. Regardless of our social standing, our resources, our age or gender or ethnicity, God's grace is a true leveler in that it reaches all and is available to all. You see, it doesn't matter how we got in the ditch. It's the same way out of the ditch, and that is to accept the grace of God. Now, the man in the parable isn't identified. We don't even know that he's a Jew. We don't know that he had a good reputation. We don't know his character or profession. For all we know, he could be a robber himself, or he could be a lawyer like the man asking the question. What we know from Jesus' story is that he's simply a person in need. The Samaritan, however, is identified by his ethnicity. And I don't think that this is an accident. There was great enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans, So the Samaritan in this story would more likely be portrayed as the robber than the rescuer. And we've already seen this enmity in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus tells this story on his journey to Jerusalem. And Jesus had sent in Luke chapter 9 messengers ahead to the Samaritans who rejected Jesus' followers because they were traveling to Jerusalem. 
And in John chapter 4, Jesus is warned by the Samaritan woman that Jews and Samaritans don't associate. So Jesus is rejected by Samaritans in Luke chapter 9 because he's a Jew. And the Jews took issue with him because he associated with outcasts and outsiders like the Samaritans. So there is enmity here. And yet in this story, the Samaritan crosses those boundaries in order to rescue And so when I read this parable and I think of myself stranded and helpless on the road to eternity, I think of Romans chapter 5, where Jesus crosses boundaries of enmity, where Jesus crosses boundaries to rescue us when we are helpless. In Romans chapter 5, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what was the effect of Jesus' death? Isaiah says, by his wounds we are healed. He has paid for our healing and our restoration. He has clothed us in righteousness and even given us a place in the kingdom. Just like the Samaritan tended to the wounds of the man in the story, clothed him and provided him a place to stay. The lawyer's question here is answered. What can I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is there is nothing you can do to earn eternal life. Rather, it is a gift of a compassionate God who has chosen to show us mercy in sending his son to be our rescuer in the same way that the Samaritan showed mercy in this story. But the lawyer did ask a follow-up question in this encounter. Who is my neighbor? Which is really him justifying not having to love those he sees as outcasts, those who are not like him, not in his circle. And Jesus' response is clear and emphatic through the parable. The Samaritan was the good neighbor. And anyone who is in need needs to be considered as a neighbor and shown mercy. But Jesus wants the lawyer to say this. So he asks at verse 36, which of these do you think is the neighbor to the man? Again, the lawyer answers Jesus' question correctly. The one who had mercy on him. But wouldn't it have been more natural for the lawyer to answer the Samaritan? I would have answered the Samaritan. But even after Jesus' story, it seems that the lawyer's prejudice was so great that he didn't say the name Samaritan. Either the lawyer, earlier the lawyer had quoted Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. But you only have to read on a few verses to verse 34. And we'll see that it says, the foreigner residing amongst you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. God says to love foreigners and slaves because before you were delivered, you were foreigners and slaves. And this again should echo with our own story. Before we were rescued by Jesus, before he met us in our need and restored us, like the Samaritan with the man on the road, We were slaves in our sin and foreigners to God, but Jesus had mercy on us. Again, in Romans chapter 5, it says, For if while we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That is how we gain eternal life. And it is clear from here and from other places in Scripture, such as Gentiles chapter three, uh, Galatians chapter 3, sorry, that there are no limits to whom God will show his mercy. There are no limits on whom God will invite into his kingdom, rich or poor, Korean or Kenyan or Kiwi, male or female, oppressed or privileged. God makes no distinctions on such grounds. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If we can learn from the lawyer's mistake in this passage, the lesson would be this. We should worry less about who our neighbor is and more about how we can love them. We should worry less about who our neighbor is and more about how we can love them. And the way that we are to love our neighbor is to be following Jesus' example of love for us. To follow Jesus' example where he crosses boundaries to show us mercy mercy and compassion. So however we interpret this parable, if we are the ones rescued or the ones doing the rescuing and loving our neighbor, the application that Jesus gives is clear. Go and do likewise. I've been encouraged so many times that people in our congregation have seized the opportunity to be good Samaritans, to reach out to people in need. I've seen this several times in the past where we've had connection with some individuals and families who were refugees and in need. And people in our church stepped straight into action to support and to provide. I've seen this with community engagement from the salvos where there's a need and that need is met with compassion straight away. And I look forward to hearing many more stories about how God will use us as his church and his children to love our neighbours. We who have heard the story of the Good Samaritan, the one who showed mercy, are called by Jesus to go and do likewise, to show mercy to those in need, even if they're not part of our circle even if they're not like us, even if it might involve a cost. And for those of us who have experienced the mercy of Jesus, who reached out to us to redeem us and restore us when we were undeserving, to bring healing and life and freedom that we couldn't achieve ourselves, this passage is a challenge to imitate our Lord and to bring the mercy that we have encountered in Jesus to a world that so desperately needs it. Let me pray. King Jesus, we thank you that in our need, you came to us. And at great cost to yourself, made a way to heal and redeem and restore us. We thank you that though we were once outsiders, we are now part of your kingdom as your beloved children. We thank you for your mercy and compassion. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would show us and lead us and teach us and empower us to show compassion to others, to cross the boundaries of who's in and who's out and simply reach out to people in need with your love 
and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.